Hi there, my name is Tim. And my name is Luke. And you are listening to the Recruitment Now podcast. We are passionate about recruiting. Each episode, we share ideas and insights into the world of recruiting from world-class recruiters and researchers. This podcast is for recruiters, HR professionals, and anyone looking to improve their recruitment abilities. So today we're going to be talking about productivity hacks for recruiters with Adam Tranetsky. Adam is an award-winning HR instructor and director of corporate services at a heavy-duty truck dealership here in Alberta. But not only that, he's a really popular and sought-after public speaker and subject matter expert at conferences, workshops, and seminars, as well as a few panel discussions related mainly to HR, technology, cannabis in the workplace, trades, as well as the Alberta employment pool. He's a past CPHR Alberta board member, as well as volunteer with post-secondary institutions and various not-for-profits. He's a popular speaker on employment, corporate readiness, and as a resume advisor for other students. He holds a Bachelor of Social Sciences degree from the U of C with a concentration in crime and deviance. Well, that sounds certainly interesting. No, I wanted to be a cop, but uh, that didn't pan out. So now I'm a cop at a organization. <laughs> a corporate cop. A we, corporate have same, cop. <laughs> we have the same career path, Adam. I started in criminal justice too, and now I'm teaching business at a university. I don't know how that happens, and it makes for interesting conversations and job interviews, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Life has a funny way of uh, making fun of your or disrupting your plans. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> welcome, Adam. Thank you. Uh, we look forward to talking to you, and uh, like we were saying offline there, there's probably a hundred topics we could get you to talk about on this podcast, but uh, some of the interesting work I, I, I've heard from you, I've read from you, is just on simple productivity and little hacks that you can use to improve your time. You know, I have a premise, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, that, you know, recruiters are some of the busiest people because there's always more work they can do. They could talk, you know, if they get 100 applications, they could talk to three, or they could talk to 17, and the rate limiting factor is time, and they often just don't have time on that. So we're hoping that you can share some ideas that you have about, you know, calling them hacks, call them whatever you want, about just little things that you've noticed that can actually help save time, technology, stuff that's free, not free, etc. And just talk to, we're just going to have a conversation about that and uh, we'll see where it goes. Absolutely. So. The worst thing that's ever happened to uh, recruitment is uh, online applications. It's so easy to apply with a click on a button and all the platforms make it easier and easier to apply. So recruiters deal with, ma- I call it uh, mass volume applications. Um, and it's uh, it can bury you. And uh, if you don't have some kind of strategy in place, um, you'll uh, either work way more than you have to, or you'll miss great diamonds in the rough uh, just because of uh, you got to stop at, you know, a thousand rather than going through all of those applications. Well, that's interesting to think of over the last 20 years with the rise of the internet. Previous to that, if you wanted to apply, you had to physically drive down to a place and hand in a paper resume or mail it there. Or fax. Or fax, man. Oh my goodness. We're old if we know what that is. (laughs) Hey, I applied via fax in 2000. When I was looking for work, it was faxes. In 2000, was yeah. it in the medical field? Because that's the only place I still see faxes. No, used. no. Uh, well, government, because uh, just a weird aside, apparently faxing is one of the last secure ways of communication. And that's why the government is still bent on. You can't email them documents or PDF documents. you got to fax them. My wife is but, a nurse, so she still gets doctor's orders via fax from doctors, which she it's 2020. Like, why it are we still doing this? It is the only, current, only yeah. most secure way to send information. Yeah. 
I don't and for know our listeners we... that don't know what a fax is, just, <laughs> just Google it. Uh, we're, we're apparently old since we can all remember that in our careers. But uh, So yeah, so times have changed in that because it's changed, it becomes simpler, volume has gone up. Correct. And that means, you know, lots of different things for recruiters. So so tell us some, I guess we'll just, we'll just start there. Tell You know, we talked about your formal bio there, but tell us a little bit about what you do right now. And then we'll get into some of the hacks that you use. Sure. So uh, I'm not a real recruiter. I'm a generalist. And so the, the way I always... Um, tell my students is that a generalist can build you a house that you don't want to live in, right? So we're, we're pretty good at recruitment. <laughs> we're pretty good at law benefits, compensation, but a specialist will always kick our butts in their specific field, right? So a recruiter will always beat me at recruitment and selection. A compensation analyst will always have a uh, better strategy on employment, uh, engagement, um, specialist will be all over that. So I'm pretty, I'm a handyman of human resources. So as a generalist of an organization of 200, I have to come up with ways to limit the amount of time I spend on resumes and uh, resume and screening. Like you said, I think it's a universal problem with recruiters yeah. is you get a hundred applications. What do you do with those hundred applications? And I mean, the research says the average recruiter spends 8, 10, maybe 11 seconds reading resumes, which I think any recruiter would admit is not enough time, but that's just a reality. If they have to go through 100 resumes and they have an hour to do it, the math doesn't work for them to spend you know, 10 minutes per resume there. But what are some things they could do to save time or improve their product? So one of the things I always tell people is if you're using Indeed, and you're posting on Indeed anyways, and you're posting on your company website, you might as well use the Indeed free applicant tracking system that they have in place, because it's good enough. The other benefit of the Indeed tracking system, uh, disclaimer, I am not sponsored or paid by Indeed yeah. in any way, <laughs> but if you ask any individual uh, who has an Indeed account, you know, you're in a group of 100 people, 95 of them, if they're job seekers, the only people that aren't on Indeed are people that aren't looking for work currently. Right? With your Indeed account, your job postings are free. But if you want to be up in that search function, you got to pay for your job postings. But every account comes with a free applicant tracking system. And a little gem is that you can add a, there's a snippet code that if you take that uh, uh, code and you give it to your IT department and they inject it into your, into your company website, into your career section, anything that you post in Indeed will automatically be posted on your company website. So instead of posting twice, yeah. which everyone does, yeah. you limit 50% of your postings just by using the Indeed applicant tracking system, which then gives you a little bit of organization Really, my number one tip is if you're posting in Indeed anyways, you might as well just uh, reverse your strategy and rather than using your Outlook as your tracking system or your to just reverse it and use the Indeed app, uh, application tracking system, save yourself the additional posting on your company website and have some structure because even with the Indeed applicant tracking system, you can put... If this person, uh, like with the pre-screening questions, you can put, if this person answers yes to all of these, automatically forward them to the hiring manager, oh, right? Wow. Or automatically forward them to so me. So you don't even have to manually screen it. Mm -mm. You can 
automatically right. over and there. People lie, yes, but you know uh, the pre-screening questions really just hurts honest people because most people know that unless if you say no to one of five questions, the probability of you getting an interview is quite yep. low. So people who are desperate will just say yes on everything. Uh, but at least you're able to, uh, with those 13 jobs I had, if they said yes to the basic rudimentary questions. And that's the other thing I always tell uh, my students is ask, you know, do they have a driver's license? Because specifically if driving or commuting is a requirement if your organization isn't near public transit, having a valid driver's license can eliminate a lot of those individuals that don't have one. Yeah. Um, and that's a sort of a basic question. So always on the pre-screening, you should ask rudimentary questions rather than the whole, uh, you know, how many years of experience do you have and that sort of thing, because people will lie. But the sort of basic make it or break it questions is a really good pre-screening. So number one, long-winded answer is use the Indeed uh, applicant tracking system, especially if you're the lone HR or recruiter for your organization. Well, a lot of applicant tracking systems have that feature too, where you create, if you set it up properly, which a lot of companies don't, uh, but uh, if you set it up properly where you put one job posting and then it can connect to all the other websites through the click of a button. Because uh, yeah, you could burn two hours easily by Okay, I got to go log into Indeed, post it there. I got to log into LinkedIn, post it there. I got to log into here, post it there. And two hours goes by and all you've done is put a job posting up yeah. for advertisements. So so the Indeed function, what's the benefit of the paid functions on in, on Indeed? Is it just boosting or is there other stuff that you can pay It's for? just boosting. So you get all the features for free. Okay. The last time I checked, if you have a specific budget per month, so if you, and don't quote me on this because it changes, but if you roughly spend 3000 a month on Indeed, you get access to their data uh, resume database so you can do the reverse you can Look start looking up. for passive candidates but you have access to their resume uh, database right. for if you want to contact somebody you pay a buck a resume which is which is decent yep. so if you really like somebody you, you can pay a buck a resume download now here's a trick indeed tries to scrape the telephone number and the email so you can't contact that person but it doesn't work when you have a pdf file right because you can't scrape a pdf file so if somebody uploaded their resume with a pdf file you can download it and it won't scrape the uh, contact information because it can't and you are you get a free resume with their email and their telephone number nice now it's here, dead. I was thinking Indeed was going to sponsor us here, but I think based on what Adam just said, I don't think they will. For the record, to our listeners, yeah. no, we're not getting any money from Indeed. But um, it, it, the thing is, the reason why I'm, I'm so I was anti Indeed for years, right? But I just couldn't beat them on the Google searches. For years, I would uh, use um, job, job, oh, sorry, search optimization techniques. So. Uh, making sure the URL had the, the keywords, had the keywords in my job postings, had pictures, had links, had, and I would be able to be on page one, two, or three on Google. But as soon as Google changed something in their algorithm, I'd be back to square one. So I definitely think that having an applicant tracking system is, is a huge way to save a lot of time especially when you're when you're managing a high volume of applicants but what many recruiters are trying to go for is not necessarily the high volume although that's a fact of your daily job but you really want to try to find the quality candidates so 
what would you say are some hacks or I think these these hacks and tips about Indeed are, are awesome. But do you have something maybe that hones in a little bit more on attracting quality candidates versus the volume that you can get through Indeed? Sure. So it's a double combo. I still use Indeed. The the benefit of Indeed is that at the very bottom of your uh, applicants, there's a button that says export your applicants to an Excel spreadsheet. When you click that button, just as an example, if I post a receptionist position, I will get 400 resumes in less than 24 hours. Yeah. So without even looking at the 400 resumes, this is what I do. I stop the job ad, I go down to the bottom and I export it to an Excel. The Excel um, export doesn't give me the resumes, but it gives me the person's uh, name. It gives me their Indeed email, which when I use it, it actually, if you use their Indeed email, you have an Indeed email and each specific Indeed email is attached to a specific job posting. So what ends up happening is when you're using that email, that conversation gets logged in that applicant tracking system with that candidate. So you're talking back and forth through Outlook, but you're using each other's Indeed emails. You don't necessarily have to store it in folders in Outlook because it's stored there. Correct. So that conversation, hey, can you come in? I'm interested in when can you come? That sort of thing. That gets all logged and tracked in the Indeed applicant tracking system. So so what do you do with that export? We're we're coming up to that, right? (laughs) So So I export the 400 resumes. Now, with Outlook, you have to be careful because you don't want Microsoft to think you're a spammer right. or whoever yeah, your email yeah. provider is. You want to limit to less than 500. And I play it safe and I do it in uh, sections of about 250 or so. Right? Okay. So what I'll do, uh, what the Excel spreadsheet looks like is you have the name, the email, the their, I think their telephone number uh, at that point because uh, they applied for your position. But they also have their last position and their education. Mm-hmm. So what I'll do is I'll do a filter uh, up top and I'll filter through position. And so I don't want, you know, managers and supervisors for the receptionist role. I'll go for administrators, reception, serve office worker or workers and that people sort of have thing. a track record for doing exactly what you want to hire them for. Correct. Yeah. And so from 400, I'll get, let's say, 200. OK, I take that 200 and I use my Outlook and I blind copy everyone, right? So they don't uh, see. And I send out a, an email saying, hey, we would uh, like you to complete this questionnaire. It's online using Google uh, Google Sheets. And that's sort of my next, uh, my, my next hack. And it's pretty much a questionnaire. When can you start? How much you're looking for? Basic pre-interview questions. And then I'll send that out. So from 400 i only get 33 responses now you know those are the ones who are really interested willing to take the next step rest we're just clicking apply, apply i haven't apply. even looked at the 400 resumes mm-hmm. i haven't even looked at the 33 right so just transitioning over to sort of tip number two is using online questionnaire forms one of the things and uh, um as an example like microsoft office has something called microsoft forms so if you have a business license you get that 
Google, well, there's Google Forms, Google or Survey Form, Monkey. It's free. I guess. So yeah. Google Forms is like Survey Monkey, but you mm -hmm. gotta pay for Survey Monkey. And Survey Monkey only allows you to have a maximum. The free version, I think, the maximum is a hundred responses. Gotcha. Where uh, Google Drive and uh, Google Forms is is free and it's yeah. unlimited, right? So with Google Forms, a lot of people think forms are just for questionnaires, but you can use it for quizzes, exams. Um, job offers, policy compliance, uh, training, a whole bunch of things. So the other thing that I do is I score the questions as a quiz, right? So for example, when can you start? So uh, somebody who says immediately gets a point. Somebody who says two weeks might get half a point. And somebody who says a month from now gets zero. Because remember, I have 400 people or 33 people that are uh, 33 people. This is not people, a VP right? role. Yeah. This is the receptionist that you need. To and the other thing is now that I've scored each of the pre-selecting questions automatically, I get all the candidates that score 10 out of 10. So I can focus on them, on them first, look at their resumes. That so this so is now sense. where I'm opening up the resumes. Now I'm looking at the 10 out of 10s first. If I don't see any great resumes, then I go to the nine out of tens, eight out of tens, and I at least have some kind of strategy of who I'm opening up first, rather than just click open no, click open yes, click open no. That makes a whole lot of sense. I've actually got a tip to add. Instead of um, sending only out the 200 emails and hoping that nobody blackmails you or blacklists you as a spammer, um, you could use something like SendGrid. Mm. So have you ever booked on something on, on Airbnb, for example, and the email that you get in is not actually from Airbnb, it'll be like from SendGrid.net or some other masked provider. So SendGrid actually does that. So you can send out a thousand emails and it masks the URL so that your actual email address will never ever get blacklisted. Yeah, you can also use like um, MailChimp. Yeah. Um, and I think they're free for X amount of sends um, uh, yeah. and that sort of thing. But that's a brilliant idea. Uh, it really reduces the probability of you getting blacklisted or spammed. Because once you get spammed, it, it's easier to get, um, or I shouldn't say it's easier, but you, you sort of have a 24 hour ban. And then if you stop sending or no one else complains and, and that sort of thing, you, you usually get it back. But you know, the problem is you're, when you get or flagged as spam, that's your entire organization, right? Mm -hmm. That's not just your email, that's your domain. That's so that expensive. means everyone in your, so your organization, everyone's yeah. banned. That's pretty serious. Yeah. yeah, so that's totally worth it. So let's talk about 2020. What do you think uh, are going to be the challenges that people who are recruiters, at, at, you know, corporate recruiters, what are the challenges that they're going to face that are unique to this day and age? Well, it's hard to say unique because um, uh, it's always always been an issue is that balance between leveraging technology and that personal touch. How can you have a personal touch with 33 or 400 people? It's this relationship where the candidates think that they are the most important focal <laughs> point, yeah. right? And that all a person is doing on the other end is just waiting for those resumes to come in. And it's not one of 400 things that they have to do that day. Do you think chatbots um, make the experience more human for applicants? The problem with chatbots or any kind of chat, even if they say artificial intelligence is behind it, is it needs 
a variation of 25 ways of asking the same question to answer one question, right? Mm. And that's where that artificial intelligence comes in, where if a person is asking a unique way, so for example, how much, did the, uh, how much does this job pay? What's the wage of this job? What's the salary of this job? You have to come up with 25 variations of that question so that when somebody uniquely asks that question, it understands. It under, it has a probability of, I've never seen this question, but the it's probability is, I think, 98% you're asking this type of question. So the problem with chatbots is that you have to fill it with a database of many questions to one answer, and a chatbot will never be able to answer a question that you haven't planned for. So let's assume that technologically that's all taken care of. Mm -hmm. What about the psychology of the applicant? Do you feel like somebody who knows, okay, this is definitely a bot, are they satisfied? Because I find myself, for example, you know, if I'm doing a chatbot to my bank or whatever, I'm always asking like, are you a real human? Because I actually want to know, is there a real human or is there a bot? Because if this is a bot, I don't, I don't really feel special enough and I want to have a conversation with a person. And I'm just wondering whether applicants feel the same, whether, whether a bot is even enough for them. So I think chatbots are a, definitely a leverage, but it still needs to have that human interaction. Because the moment you feel that you are speaking with a program, you lose that. Uh, personal touch. It's mm -hmm. no longer a personal touch. So chatbots definitely have a role, but that role involves another human being on the other end. Do you think the cost benefit equation is there for recruiters to look into chatbots? Because as you say, there's a lot of programming at the front end to program this properly, which is a cost to that. You know, time, money, if you have to hire a programmer, if you don't know what the heck you're doing, you know, the time to administrate, follow up. Do you think that cost benefit is there yet? No, that's why that human uh, at the other end is a way more cost-effective way that you're really just paying for the ch chat function and functionality where you can just take a piece of code and stick it in your uh, career page and it pops as soon as somebody pops up, it goes, hello, do you have any questions? And as soon as that person starts typing, then somebody else gets notified. But if that person's on lunch, if that person's already right. sick, now what's happening is like, hello, hello, anyone there? And they sort of lose interest as well. So, so I feel like it almost would be worse to pretend you have that feature. But if you're not big enough to have that, you know, eight hour day coverage, if you have a two person recruitment team, well, they're not going to be sitting at their computers waiting for people to chat with all but, the time. But it's not an eight, it's not an eight hour coverage, it's 24 seven coverage because well, some people look for work while on the job. But and it, I don't know if business. you guys know that statistic <laughs> of, you know, who looks while they're working, who looks after hours, but you would need 24 seven hour coverage. Do you think and, that's something that companies when they're looking to attract talent, do you think that's something they would be willing to pay for to be able to give that high touch experience to possible candidates? Uh, I'm thinking particularly for companies where applicants are also their clients. Like let's think of a large bank, right? Everybody applying for a job at that bank is also a possible customer. So the experience for that job seeker in that minute is also actually a customer experience. Do you think people, companies like that, those really large enterprises would spend money on creating a high touch application process for job seekers? What I have found in the past is everyone says I'm willing to pay for extra quality and extra service and extra X, Y, and Z until, but until that number comes up and that 
pen, please sign it. I'm not willing to pay that much, right? Mm -hmm. So where that balance is of payment is being able to prove that how much people power are you able to save? So if you're paying $10,000 for a year for a service, are you able to hire one-fifth less or, uh, you know, have uh, a person spend one-fifth less on that process and that sort of thing? And that's really hard to justify. Um, the other the other thing that we've, because we've tried chat in Texas, even with our own customer base, and <laughs> we're a heavy-duty truck dealership, so our clientele drives all the time. So texting isn't the best way to communicate with right. our clients. <laughs> And we just haven't found that people enjoy texting back and forth as a means of communication to, to the degree of um, that it should be. Like when you look at society right now, this should be a no brainer. Like everyone should have a chat function on their career page, but they don't. And they don't because people don't use it all that much. Like on paper, the strategy seems solid, but when it comes to actual execution, people still pick up the phone or they'll send an email. It's just maybe it's a generational thing, maybe though, you yeah. know, because I feel that you know what is the what is the latest generation of kids coming out of school? Is it Gen Z? I mean, that's a generation who does not want to speak to somebody over the phone. Okay, you hit a nerve, and I know we're not supposed to uh, we're not supposed to talk about everything here. But here's the thing: I know a lot of useless Gen Xers, Gen Yers, uh, you know, traditionalists, and I also know amazing millennials. And it's it's not really I don't think it's a generational thing because one of the things that you have to understand is you are not the same person that you are at eleven. 21, Absolutely. 31, 41. So yes, maybe the 19-year-olds like to communicate that way, but those 19-year-olds will turn to 29-year-olds and 39-year-olds. Are you, do you communicate and act the way you did when you were 21, 19? No, right? So I, I think it's a age thing, but I don't think it's a generational thing. Okay. Right? Sorry, I just had to get that off my <laughs> but, chest. But I think that there might be an element of technology as well, you know. It's also an industry thing, right? Like a, par a part of the, the thing that I struggle with is I work in the trades and not to knock trades that they're not technologically savvy is they don't need to be technologically savvy to do their jobs, right? Like uh, So why should like, they be to apply for the job? Correct, right? to, to a certain degree, right? It really is an industry-specific issue. It's not a generational issue. Well, the one thing I've noticed sometimes, and you can use all this technology, but are you using your recruitment technique to measure their use of that technology or whether they can do the job? Because sometimes that's different. If you're hiring a carpenter who you want to build you a house, but then your recruitment process is measuring their ability to use all this technology, which they won't need to build you a house or whatever that is. And yeah. carpentry might have some you know, elements of computers to read plans, et cetera. Maybe that's a bad example. So I think that's a caution to keep in mind for recruiters too, because so often we get excited about technology we love versus the technology that's actually needed by the role. I mean, if you're hiring a software developer, that's different. Right? Being industry specific, and I'll just give this example. So I, w I was able to convince my company that I needed a customer service trainer. 
uh, it's something that uh, we outsourced for about a year. It was quite expensive. It was about a hundred thousand dollars for the services that they would listen in on the phone calls. They would track how the uh, uh, employees were speaking with the customers, what questions they were asking, and things along those lines. And I told my organization, I can do this cheaper and better and more uh, custom uh, customized. And as I was putting together my recruitment strategy, I knew for a fact, the moment I posted customer service trainer, I would get a Tons thousand emails because everyone who's a customer, I can train people, right? Like that's the equivalent of a person driving a Honda, applying to be a Honda mechanic because they drive a Honda. Mm -hmm. So I knew for a fact I needed to manage this some way. And so part of the customer uh, experience trainer, I what I wanted them to do was make online training videos. And so I used the recruitment strategy in order to provide a test in the form of, in order for you to apply, you needed to send me a one or two minute introductory vid cover letter via YouTube. So you had to set up a YouTube account. Why? Because it's free. Um, and I wanted to see you how you were in front of a camera, you know, uh, and I wanted to see, could you troubleshoot? Could, uh, if you didn't have a YouTube account, could you create a YouTube account? If you have a Gmail, you already have a YouTube account. You just don't know it, mm -hmm. that you have a YouTube account. If you don't have a YouTube account, you go, oh, I don't have a YouTube account or can't, uh, can't apply or whatever it may be. So that strategy of a video cover letter checked off a lot of things. So can you make an online video? How personable are you in that online video? And are you willing to do those extra steps? And all of it was free. How many applicants did you get? Oh, this is the interesting part. So I posted the job ad within 24 hours. I got 93 applications, Whoa. give or take. Not one of them sent me a video cover letter. And it was right in the job posting you expected them to do that. It was okay. in the job posting at the bottom. Mm -hmm. right? I was very frustrated. And it, this is where I realized, like uh, reflecting later on, I realized this is what happened. The people that were going to make the video cover letter haven't applied yet because they were making their video cover letter. The people who went, screw this, I'm just applying, were the people that applied. Right away. Right. Yeah. So I I vented my frustration on LinkedIn. I remember this. This is about a year or two ago. Yeah. And it blew up. I got a hundred thousand views and I got called the meanest things on the planet of how dare you be so arrogant, venting that no one uh, listened to your instructions. Obviously there's something wrong with your instructions. So I po so uh, my post was uh, posted a job application, 83 people applied, not one of them followed instructions, right? So me being naive, I thought, well, I'll just post my instructions to sh show that there wasn't anything hidden. And when people saw that I was asking for a video cover letter, oh my God, did that even <laughs> blow up further in my face. And so kind of upon, and one of the things I really try to do is not be defensive about mistakes. And th it's like, all right, Obviously, people are upset. What am I? How did I get here? What did I do wrong or what could I have done differently? So one of the things that I did 
was I put the instructions not at the bottom, but on the top and the bottom. Mm-hmm. Right. So the people that saw it first uh, or they would see it first and they would see it again at, at the very bottom. The other thing that I did is all those uh, 80, I think it's 83, let's call it around the 90 people that initially applied. I actually responded back to them because I had no plan of responding back to them uh, because they didn't follow the instructions. And that was, can you follow my instructions? If you can't follow my instructions. Not a from, good start. Yeah, not a good start. But you gave them another opportunity. Correct. Okay. Right. Because that's the, the feedback I got. Right. Because it's like, well, you're not being fair. And it's like, fine. If you missed the instructions because I put them at the bottom, maybe I made that mistake. So I reposted it and I sent back the, uh, the 83, 93 who initials, hey, uh, I'm taking down this posting. I'm creating a new posting. You didn't submit uh, a video cover letter, which was part of the instructions because I downloaded the Indeed Excel spreadsheet and sent, uh, sent everyone that email. Oh, and that's the other thing about great about Indeed. Once you find somebody with a click of a button, you can send everyone a rejection letter. Okay. Uh, and so yeah. 90% of uh, companies never send a rejection letter. Yeah. So this is your way of differentiating yourself. In the end, uh, I think my number was around 170, 180, only 13 people uh, with a video cover letter. Out of those 13 people, one person just blew everyone out of the water. Awesome. There was no point in interviewing them because this person just blew everyone out of the water. And I ended up hiring that person. And after the the, um, the job offer, I said, I got to ask you, how many tries was that? Mm-hmm. And she said, it was my second try because the first one I messed up on the name of the company. Oh, right? And that was what I was looking for. I wasn't looking for high quality. Like it was literally, they whipped out their phone. They did a selfie. And they spoke into the camera. It was natural. It flowed. They uh, they presented themselves well. So they didn't have a professional things. studio or anything. No, like that. It, it was from their uh, from their s- smartphone, right? And the other thing that really uh, caught my eye is they didn't do portrait mode. She was one out of I think three that actually did it the proper proper way. But she never did a YouTube video before. She never did. Uh, she did online training for other organizations, which clearly showed she used the Jedi mind trick of we when she was uh, uh, instead of you and I and, and that yeah. sort of thing. But uh, to answer your initial question about quality is finding out those. What's that core skill that I'm looking for in a person? On the job. On the job. And how can I incorporate that into the recruitment strategy in order to really elevate that quality talent? Awesome. Thank you so much, Adam. I think that you shared with us some really awesome trips, tips and tricks for people on the corporate side of recruitment. Absolutely. And I think I, th- I thoroughly enjoyed this this chat as well. So I feel like we could go on for another hour. <laughs> if anybody wants to connect with uh, Adam, you can find him on LinkedIn. He's always got lots of interesting posts as well as um, often sharing the videos of him speaking at Disrupt HR. You can find him at Adam Tranetsky. Thanks so much, Adam. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. It was fun. You've been listening to the Recruitment Now podcast.